0: Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, welcome to episode 36 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I have the good fortune of interviewing John Sessek, a really experienced strength and conditioning coach uh, with over 20 years experience in a variety of sports. Uh, really like his and focus on the fundamentals so um really think i enjoy this podcast and get a lot out of it uh he's had a few books published so he, he knows his stuff um and he's a good guy and he shared his time with us so give it a listen and let us know what you think hi john welcome to the rugby running podcast great to have you on uh why don't we start by you just sort of uh, telling us a little bit about your background how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the athletes and teams and sports you've worked with
1: well um I'm john sisick i'm uh, I'm based out of I'm based out of Texas. Um, I have worked with everything from uh, youth to Olympic. I actually was lucky enough to kind of start out um, as an Olympic lifter. Um, I was uh, my how to how to say this my my dreams and aspirations in Olympic lifting were a little bit greater than my abilities were. But it was still an awesome experience to go through and do that. And that was kind of a foundation for where I went for a long time. Um, I started out coaching on the Olympic lifting side of things, and that got me to the Olympic Training Center in strength and conditioning because, what, 20-some-odd years ago, uh, we were, strength and conditioning was really focused around Olympic lifting first. And so there was a large demand for those of us that had that as a skill set. Um, since then, I've worked uh, college, mainly baseball and basketball, uh, gone into the private sector for a while, found a niche with track and field, done a ton of work with that at all levels from high school all the way up to Olympic. And um, and nowadays, I work mostly with uh, special athletes, athletes with uh, disabilities, uh, and I've actually ended up being a team coach um, with baseball and with basketball, um, and also working on the special side of things, which is something that I also teach. So it's, it's been an interesting, and it's been a varied career, and I learn something new every day.
0: Yeah, that's great. Obviously, tons of experience, um, and we'll try and tap into that as much as we can over the podcast. Um, uh, This is something we like to ask, and and it's not an easy question to answer. But what's your kind of strength and conditioning philosophy in a nutshell?
1: Um, Well, I'm I'm going to start off not where you think I'm going to start off with, in the sense that, um, kind of from a coaching philosophy. I think it's it's really important that you get to know your athletes really well, um, because there are going to be times where you're going to ask them to dig deep, and you're going to have to know enough about them and have enough rapport and trust built with them that they'll be able to do that. So it starts off with getting to know your athletes really well, kind of tapping into their interests and their strengths, figuring out what their weaknesses are. I am a really big, um, fundamentals coach. That's, it's always been a gift of mine to be able to teach skills, um, and to be able, you know, as a team sport coach, to be able to put together the X's and the O's. So I'm really big on fundamentals. There are not a lot of athletes that don't need fundamentals still, um, everything from beginner all the way to Olympic and pro, we still need to focus on those things somewhat. Um, So with me, you don't see a whole lot of um, really out there uh, kind of programming or exercises. Um, More advanced athletes, maybe yes, but still, we still, everybody squats, everybody presses, everybody rows, everybody does variations of the Olympic lifts, although I've changed that over the years. Uh, So it's still very much fundamentals based.
0: Yeah, and I think I saw your your Twitter sort of photo header is um, the quote is uh, "Do simple better." I think. Yeah, Uh, that's definitely your philosophy. Yeah.
1: It's yeah, you you got to keep it simple. I mean, we we all want to sound and look incredibly smart, uh, especially on social media, and you know, but that that sounds great at a coaching presentation but it doesn't work with athletes because they're only going to hear about 10 percent of what you say so you've got to keep it very short and very concise and very meaningful uh to have an impact
0: yeah that's great advice and um let's let's touch on your your weightlifting background a bit and you've you've kind of hinted about um you still use olympic weightlifting but it's kind of changed do you want to sort of expand on that how have you how's your use of olympic lifts changed
1: So 20-some-odd years ago when when I got into this, the field was a lot different than it is today. So 20-some-odd years ago, a strength and conditioning coach was expected to know the Olympic lifts, expected to know the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, a couple variations with that. And that was really about it. That was our job description back then. It was 100% weight room. That's it. You fast-forward to today, that won't even get you in the door anymore. You've got to have that skill set, but now there's this wide range of tools that you've got to be familiar with today. You've got to have, I mean, kettlebells, suspension training, speed, agility, foam rollers, uh, corrective exercises. I mean, you name it. It's so different. It's so much broader than it used to be. Getting back to the Olympic lifts. So when I started, naturally, because I competed in that and then I coached it, naturally I thought, well, Everybody needs to do the Olympic lifts because as a young coach, that's what I did. So all my programs then were based around and would have looked very similar to an Olympic lifting program with just a couple of tweaks here and there. So you fast forward to today and there's a lot of research out about the Olympic lifts now that, yes, they're fast, they're powerful, but the speed and the power outputs do not approach what you do in sports it's a lot lower so yes you're explosive but it's not it's not a one-to-one transfer the other thing you start to look at is you can do the full olympic lift so we're going to catch it in the full squat so the clean i'm going to catch it in a full front squat the snatch i'm going to catch it in a full overhead squat all the way down but you don't have to pull the bar up very high on those variations and that's why you can lift so much weight because you don't lift the bar very high you're able to get underneath it in a deep squat so the power outputs not what you would see in the power variation of the lifts which you catch in a quarter squat so that led to most of us going well we don't want to do the full lifts in training we want to do the power variations instead and then you fast forward a few years and now there's a lot of research that's coming out that's going you don't even need to catch the bar anymore Because you can get the benefits from the power outputs by just doing the variations, which are called pulls or high pulls. Um, And over the years, I've been very resistant to that change. But the more I see it, the more it makes sense. And if I can spend more time getting a better effect and not having to spend so much time learning technique, I think that's a better use of my athlete's time. So. I've kind of morphed over the years from doing everybody's going to do the full version of the lifts to now we're focusing a lot more on pulls and on high pulls than on anything else.
0: Okay, cool. That's that's great. Um, great advice for people to learn how to kind of use those in a bit lifts uh, for, you know, training for other sports and, and rugby in our example. Um let's uh let's have a tr- i saw one of your blog posts recently john uh about agility and sports performance do you want to kind of uh explain the content of that blog
1: okay um so i i think as i think as i get i get older i should just put grumpy old fart in my uh social media headings because that's kind of <laughs> where i'm going nowadays um so the distinction I got to make here is some people work in performance training settings where it's one-on-one and you have, you have almost unlimited time to train athletes. You have as much time as they can pay for, basically. And that's very different than a team setting where the time is regulated by schools, sport governing bodies, Collective bargaining agreements, whatever. There's a finite amount of time that you have. The other challenge in a team setting is that you may have 20 to 100 athletes working out at the same time. And it's never an ideal mix between the number of athletes and the number of coaches working with them. So we got to keep that in perspective first. So I'm working team sport settings. It's not a one-on-one. And who I'm writing for are team sport coaches and strength coaches in the team setting. If I'm in a one on one performance location, I got to compete with other locations. So we're very much concerned with marketing and advertisements and what can I do to look smarter, better more preferable to the other settings. So I have to come up with drills, equipment, tools that make me marketable. But they're not necessarily the most effective way to go. When you're looking at agility with sports, to me, agility is not shuffling for five yards or backpedaling for five yards or something like that. To me, agility is about to go through the movements of the sport, with balance and speed, and to be able to do it in an environment which is chaotic, involves other opponents, involves the ball, involves crowd noises, involves so many things that you don't get if you're going to shuffle to the right or the left for a few yards. So for me, agility is about knowing the sport and figuring out how to incorporate the sport movements into training so that we can get better at them. And sometimes that means sports drills. Um, Sometimes that means the ball. Sometimes that means figuring out how do we factor in opponents and just how chaotic sports is. Um, I think every team sport coach has a great game plan and and that lasts until the game starts and then you got to be flexible from there. So kind of that's, that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to agility and that that's kind of the the crux of a lot of these blogs is we need to get past thinking i'm going to have a couple of cone drills and then hey our athletes are in great shape
0: yeah definitely and that's two two good points obviously about the the bridging from from general movement drills which i suppose those General drills are to reactive and into a chaotic right. environment. Obviously, that's massive. But then also for like those young, upcoming coaches who probably are getting their experience working in the you know in the private setting one on one, they don't realise the the constraints of working in team environments. There's so two really good points there, and I'm, I'm glad I brought that up because you explained it a lot better than I could have. Um, <laughs> let's talk about um, like something and another thing that can be kind of use maybe towards a kind of a bit of a fad in the industry is kettlebells. How how have you used those with your athletes? Okay. Um
1: let's let's talk about kettlebells in a team sport environment. Okay. Um things I things that are awesome about kettlebells is there's is an incredible amount of variety of exercises that you can do with them. There are kind of kettlebell-specific exercises that you can do with them, like the swings, um, get-ups, exercises like that. Plus, if you can do it with a dumbbell, you can do it with a kettlebell. So that adds some nice flexibility too. The other nice thing about the kettlebells, two more points with that, is they are an awesome metabolic conditioning tool. Because you can increase the weight, you can do the exercises rhythmically, so we can do them for time. Like, we're going to do swings for 60 seconds. So that makes it a great conditioning tool. The other nice thing is I happen to think that the shape of the kettlebell is very shoulder-friendly for a lot of overhead exercises. So that's all on the plus side. Here's the challenge in a team environment, if I have 20 to 100 athletes exercising at the same time and kettlebells come in different weights, then that means I have to have a whole lot of kettlebells on hand for them to be able to use for effective training workouts. Um, and that can get a little cost and space prohibitive. So the way that I like to use them is I like to use them more as part of a conditioning tool um, or more as something that we can use during the warm-up. So maybe having a eight-repetition maximum weight, for example, is not important. What's important is we have weights that people can use for the kind of time that we want the exercises to go on. And we can always adjust time, and we can always adjust rest intervals to keep it challenging. So, if you look at it that way, it's not important to have as much of a variety in terms of the weights. Um, Joseph Coxby, come to the office, please. Joseph, please come. Sorry, to I'm Cox. in the middle of my teaching duties right now. That's okay. Um, so, it's not as important to have as much of a variety of the weights if you look at it kind of in that that environment. So. Long answer short, I like using it more for metabolic conditioning and I like using it more as a warm up tool than as a main uh strength and conditioning exercise. Yeah, I think I think
0: you're right. I think the key word you use there is tool. You know, they're they're another kind of tool in our sort of strength conditioning toolbox. Um so to speak, and um, like I said, you've highlighted the best uses for them and and use them as a tool for that. And and not, I think the the problem is when people try and go, you know, use kettlebells for everything. They're they're awesome, I mean, they are awesome, well, but not no, at everything.
1: It looks great. It looks great on YouTube, and it, it <laughs> looks yeah. I mean, and and that's fine. But as, as an athlete, that's not what you're about. What your strength and conditioning for athletes is about. Getting them better at their sport and preventing preventing injuries and anything else is a waste of their time. Yeah, and you got to keep that in perspective.
0: Yeah, very well put. Now, uh, this this is a question that um, was asked to me recently, and uh, I, I kind of struggled to answer it uh, in a way. But um, what do you think um, the kind of the future is for the S and C industry, and and what do you think should you know, should change to improve it as, as an industry for, you know, for S and C coaches and for the athletes as well. Um,
1: I, I think in a way the, the future is kind of going to be more of the same in the sense that every few years, there's a new best thing that comes up and a lot of people are going to jump on the bandwagon. Um, because it sounds really smart and cool and it'll go on for a few years and you're going to see it everywhere and then it drops off and then something new comes up. Um, we all got to do Olympic lifts. Well, okay. So we start off with that. We've all got to do the West side approach to powerlifting, which works great for them. Okay. So we kind of drop off with that. We've all got to do suspension training. We've all got to do, uh, bosu balls and work on our balance we've all i mean the list goes on and on and on and on there's something there will be something new every couple of years that we've all got to jump on and at the end of the day we're all going to go back to lifting heavy and we're all going to go back to running fast and training to get better at running and we're going to go back to needing to focus on the sport movements but every couple of years something will come up it's going to sound really smart and that's one of the challenges with coaching any sport and that's one of the challenges with strength and conditioning is if things sound really good so let's go do them um so i think the future is more of the same with that it'll be something different it'll sound really good and at the end of the day we're going to go back to what works but people will get distracted for a while now in terms of strength and conditioning um having said what i just said There is certainly a science basis to coaching. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, when you're towards the end of the game and you're down by a couple of scores and it's raining and you're sore and you're tired and the coach is asking you to dig deep for a couple of more plays so that we can win this game and get out of here. That isn't science based. That's the art of coaching. Understanding how to break down a skill so that somebody understands how to do that skill and to correct their mistakes, that's the art of coaching. That's not science-based. That's really important. And I think sometimes we lean a little bit too much and throw the evidence-based phrase out there a little bit too much because it can't be done. I think we over-focus on the research sometimes, and people are going to burn my my image and effigy now but i think we focus a little bit too much on that evidence side and we hide behind that too much because it can't be done um research on college students does not apply to my athletes um research on olympic athletes doesn't apply to high school level athletes you're comparing apples to oranges And you always have to keep that in perspective when you're reading these things. And you always have to keep that in perspective whenever you're doing the, oh, but it's not evidence-based cry. Because sometimes experience works, and sometimes experience is experience for a reason. And so soapbox, you got to pay attention to the art as well as the evidence. And I think sometimes when you form associations and you get a really strong um, academic and professor focus... We want to have that focus, and I get that, but sometimes that tends to drive off some of the coaches. And so I think the strength and conditioning field needs to decide where it's going and maybe not be everything for everybody. Um, you know, over on this side of things, we've got a high school strength coaches association, which I absolutely love because they are focused on passion and they go hashtag family, and I love that because they are very focused day-to-day with working with athletes and getting buy-in and motivating, and that's a lot different than taking a very cold, clinical research approach. Um, I, I think the field's got to decide where it's going and who it's going to be. Are are we coaches? Are we something for everybody? What are we? And uh, I don't have an answer for that, and I didn't have an answer for that 20 years ago when it started. <laughs> No, so,
0: <laughs> no, some really interesting points, and um, no, I agree. I think, I think, a little message there. That, I don't know. I think. I think you were trying to get across as well was that you kind of the best research is in your own house, isn't it? It's it's with your it athletes. Is. You you find out what works for your athletes, um, and if there's a research paper that says different to that, it doesn't matter because you know you found what works in your environment, and 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 that's what that's what you're there for. You're not there to figure out what's fancy research Um, so definitely agree with you there and i mean there's some great advice there already but um there's a question we ask all the the guests on the podcast what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach
1: Um, if you're gonna work in a if your goal is to work in a team environment uh you're gonna have to have a team sport background yourself Um, just And everybody's going to go, oh, I'm special. That doesn't apply to me. No, that applies to you. If you want to work in a team sport environment, you're going to have to have a team sport background yourself. And the reason is, is because without that, you cannot identify with the athletes. You cannot identify with the team sport coaches that you're working for and supporting. Um, You can't identify with what they're going through and you have no credibility to ask them to dig deep. You have no credibility to prepare them for the sport because you don't have a frame of reference for it. Just working out is not enough. So that's the first thing. That's a piece of advice. So if you're in your last year of college and you want to go work with football and you've never done a team sport before in your life, it's not going to work. Second piece of advice is that you need to be very well grounded in the fundamentals. Um, And nowadays the fundamentals is a lot broader than it was when I got into the field. So nowadays the fundamentals are you're looking at the Olympic lifts, you're looking at the basic barbell movements, you're looking at probably about 10 different kettlebell exercises that you need to be familiar with. And you need to be familiar with kind of the gamut of what's going on with speed and agility. And when you're an old coach, you can pick and choose. And But when you're a young coach, you're going to listen to what the older coaches tell you. So you need to be familiar with all of those things. Um, that's the kind of stuff that gets you in the door. The other thing to keep in mind for young coaches is everybody's resume looks the same in the sense that everybody has degree in X, Y, and Z. They have these certifications. They're very passionate and interested in things. But it's your experiences, and unfortunately, it is who you know that sets you apart. And so, if you're looking to get into this field, you have to be thinking far ahead about how do I develop those things so that I am attractive uh, when it comes to coaching jobs. So, that goes back to what is your team sport background? Who do you know? And what have you done to earn your dues to try to get in to get that first paid job? So long, long answer on that one.
0: No, that's a great answer. Really good advice. Um, and are there any books that you'd recommend for um, strength and conditioning coaches? I know you've you've had a few published yourself. You can feel free to mention those, of course. Um, I've uh,
1: I've I've written I've written one that was uh, was published over over on on your side of things. It was called uh, Strength and Conditioning: A Concise Introduction it uh it focuses on um i sometimes i have a very cynical take on the research you'll pick up on that on the blog and uh it's a research based book but it uh it takes a realistic book look at the research so like if this study is only looking at four college students and is trying trying to apply it to the entire world. I'll mention that in the book. Um, But it also talks a lot about here's some of these foundational studies that everybody throws out there, and here's what they actually say and mean and how it applies to things. So it's a good reference. Um, Strong opinions on this, but everybody quotes it. It's not a bad idea to get some of the foundational texts, like to get Medveyev's periodization book. Um, it's hugely outdated, but a lot of people still use it and throw it out there, and it's good to know where things came from. Um, I think that's an important one. Um, same thing with Tudor Bampa's book. That's, that's Again, it, it's outdated. Life's moved on, but it's good to know where things come from. Um, cause you, you see that kind of information a lot. Um, I think those are the ones I'd focus on. Um, just cause you want to know where things came from. You know, I, I still have books that I reread from 20 years ago and I still pick things out from here and there. So, um, sometimes it's good to go back and look up the old masters just to see how do we get where we are today. Yeah
0: definitely I th- I think it's always good when you reread a book and like I say you you pick out something different from it whether it's because um you, you know your perspective changed over over the years and and something you know kind of aligns with with your thinking then but yeah it's it's really good to reread some of the old books so thanks for sharing those with us. And then the last question we ask all the guests, um, and we usually apply it to rugby athletes, but you can apply it to, you know, athletes in general. Um, what do you think is the biggest mistake uh, rugby players make when it comes to s and
1: um, I think you get too diluted and too much variety sometimes. Um, you get into this, again, I, I think fundamentals matter. Um There are very few athletes that have moved beyond needing a strength and power base with their training. Um, Handful of elite athletes, handful of track and field athletes that have gotten to the point where more strength gains won't be beneficial. So I think at the end of the day, uh, rugby athletes and a lot of athletes in general still need to squat, still need to press, still need to pull things off the floor, still need to row, um, still need to work on running fast still need to work on agility moves still need to work on perfecting the skills of your sport and overlearning them and still need to work on and still need to work on studying please come to the front office. Please studying come your sport to the yeah. front office, please. Uh, again
0: once again john great advice and lastly where can people learn more about yourself
1: um, i you know uh, i'm i'm on i'm on twitter it's uh, jcissik um, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Some of that is, um, strength and conditioning related. Some of that's related to teaching. Um, you can hear the bell and everything in the background. I, I teach special ed. That's, that's what I do during the day. Um, you can, uh, you can find my blog at com and, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's where you can find me. And I'm I'm all over. You Google me. I'm all over the place.
0: <laughs> cool. And of course, we'll share all links to those on the show notes. But, John, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been really insightful and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, thanks very much for coming on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Proud to be here
0: thanks John bye bye great stuff so another great podcast from a great strength coach Um, really liked his focus on keeping it simple and the fundamentals of strength and conditioning Uh, so thank you John for taking the time to talk to us Uh, in the meantime guys please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher TuneIn uh, and of course iTunes and give us a 5 star review and check us out at RugbyRenegade.com and for the social media channels Facebook, Instagram, Twitter etc and there are more podcasts on the way Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby
1: Renegade, Renegade. Renegade. building Building machines. machines.